Hello, everyone. I'm John Pataki, and welcome to Best One Since the Next One, the podcast that dives deeper than the case of the Avatar Blues into genre entertainment and the fandom it inspires. Make sure to follow us at B1M1Pod on Instagram and Facebook, and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're kicking off 2023 by heading back to Pandora to fly on the back of a banshee and swim with a Tulkoon as we talk James Cameron's Avatar, The Way of Water, the sequel to the highest grossing film of all time and a fascinating cultural object onto itself. Joining me this week is one of two Navi-sized men that host Blast Points, a Star Wars podcast. It's Gabe Bot. everybody. What's up, Gabe? Hello. Pleasure to be here. And yeah, we might not be the best Star Wars podcast, but we are definitely the tallest. So I will... <laughs> <laughs> I will stake that claim. You're, you're a tall guy, Gabe. What can I say? Are you sick of hearing that by now? No. No. no, um, no. Yeah. Speaking of Blast Points, for the handful of people that listen to our show that don't know about Blast Points, tell us a little bit about it, what you all cover and where it came from. So yeah, we are a Star Wars podcast. Uh, we have new episodes pretty much every Tuesday. Um, we go over everything Star Wars. Uh, we really like the weird, the strange stuff. Uh, we talk about stuff that's new. We talk about stuff that's old. Uh, my co-host Jason and I have been friends forever. Uh, we were college roommates and, and friends in the 90s. So we've been Star Wars maniacs basically our whole lives. And yeah, we talk about anything and everything. Uh, occasionally we'll talk about Indiana Jones or Willow or, or uh, something else. But mostly, uh, yeah, it's all Star Wars all the time. Yeah, and for anyone that doesn't listen, Gabe writes really amazing like intro themes for all the theme months and things like that too. That are more like they're like um, bedroom metalcore or something where it's like <laughs> drum drum machines, synths, and then guitar like metal guitar, and they're they're awesome. So check those out. The Willow one especially rules, pulling out all the stops for sure. You know, and you also have you know the Blast Points Army on the Patreon where you covered the original Avatar. No, no, you didn't talk. You, you talked about Way of Water on yeah. on the Patreon. Yeah, we yeah we haven't done the original one yet, actually. But yeah, we talked a little bit about Way of Water as well. Yeah. So we're making you talk about it again. In terms of that, like, what is your relationship to the original Avatar? When did you see it? Did you see it in the theater? Like, what did you think of it when it first came out, etc.? Yeah, no, I was excited for Avatar, the first one before it came out. I knew it was coming. I'd heard about it. And it was one of those things, like, before the trailer came out, it was like, you know, this sounds a little crazy, you know. It's James Cameron. It's probably going to be good, but I didn't know what to expect. And then I remember seeing the trailer when it came out and I was like, okay, this is like the ultimate sci-fi movie for like 13 year old kids or something like this looks like it's going to be amazing. And yeah, I saw it opening night, saw it in 3d. Um, and yeah, I fell in love right away. I remember, I think I, I texted Jason from uh, my co-host from blast points, like at the end that it was like this movie. So insane. It has to tell you the name its name at the end like to remind you like what just kicked your butt like just in case you're like you know you passed out it's like avatar you know so you remember walking out of the theater what just kicked you in the face so so yeah i i've been an avatar fan since day one it came out in 2009 i was what like 26 at that time so i was kind of like this kind of like shithead phase where i thought i was like cooler than everything it's a movie that's right up my alley and i just avoided it because everyone was like talking about it which is so dumb and i would never do that now i'm just obsessed with that kind of stuff lately but so i saw it for the first time when it came out on disney plus and was like i mean it's pretty good but it's you know i don't know what all the hype's all about but then when they re-released it a couple months ago before way of water came out i went to go see it in imax in 3d and i was like oh okay <laughs> I, I get it now because that 3d component is obviously the most important aspect of it it really it tra it's so transportive all the little like floating seedlings in front of the, the screen that 
you know, pop. So it's, it looks like you're actually in the forest. It really, it, it sold it. And I became a complete convert at that point where I was like, why did I ever in my life doubt James Cameron? Doubt him at your own peril. So, you know, and at the time we had made fun of like <laughs> people that were walking around Target with like khaki pants and like an avatar sweatshirt on. And we called them avatar dads. But cut to cut to 13 years later, yeah. and now now I'm an avatar dad. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what it was about it that turned me off because everything about it is right up my alley. You know, I've been a Star Wars fan forever. I've been an Aliens fan forever. I've been a James Cameron fan forever, and so I won't make that mistake again. Yeah, don't underestimate James Cameron. And I think yeah, the 3D is great. And and at the time, like anything that was 3D, I was kind of I like when movies are 3D when they actually. Uh, I mean, some of the 2D to 3D conversions are kind of bad, but when they actually mm-hmm. film something in 3D, like, I like that stuff. Uh, so that part of it was great. But I go back to that first movie. I think the first movie, even though it's like two hours long, I think it's it's paced really well. It's a very, very simple story, which is what people complain about. But I think because it is a simple story that everybody kind of knows, it lets you not realize how crazy everything else is and <laughs> yeah. that you really are just, you know, seeing this completely animated other world movie. And I, yeah, I think I go back to the first one all the time and it's like, it's, it's one of those movies I can just watch it over and over again. And it doesn't feel like it's two and a half hours long. Yeah. It's really strange that people complain about the the basic story of it because it really does just exist in service of letting you not like check out, but like really absorb the atmosphere and the, like the vibe of it. I think it's purposely simple so that you can absorb how transportive it is, you know, and I actually don't think it's that simple of a story. It's a really wild story. It's like a really bizarre, uh, really over the top setup where, you know, all the video logs and everything set it up for you so effortlessly that, you know, it seems more simple than it is, but it's like, when I went to go see way of water, I'd, already watched the first one before it. And I was like, okay, what is happening here again? (laughs) Like, where is everybody? What's the setup for this? And I don't think it's like that over the top complicated because it's digestible by the the public at large. But in terms of like the number one selling movie of all time, it's a really, really over the top wild setup for it. So yeah, it was released in 2009. And that's the really crazy part too, because in the meantime, 29 Marvel movies, five Star Wars films, eight Star Wars series, if you include all the animated ones. Um, and like the the DC Universe movies have gone through like three Batman in that amount of time. And that all shows really on screen in Way of Water for sure. And the plot of the first one is basically Jake Sully becomes an avatar, joins the tribe, defends the tribe from the humans and then wins. That's literally like the plot of the whole first movie. So about as simple as it gets. But I, I wanted to know what your thoughts on this, because I think the most genius thing about Avatar in general is that James Cameron kind of transposes the plight of like indigenous people or like colonialism in a really universal way by putting them over the top of, you know, a fictional species. So it's more of a universal message, but also at the same time, it can be kind of a nefarious aspect of it because it does make it more accessible for people, but there's not really any true representation of like indigenous people in it. If that's the case, which kind of seems like a bummer slash missed opportunity. But to me, and I want to know your thoughts on this, like James Cameron could just, kind of seems like your cool, like centrist uncle just smokes weed and doesn't really understand modern social issues, but he's like, he's absolutely trying to, but he seems way more focused on the fact that like the world is ending and none of the stuff will matter if we don't save the planet. What What is your, what is your spin on that? What is your take on the fact that like, he's trying to show off this like story of colonialism, but it's really not truly a representation of that. Well, I think that's, I mean, the way he did it is why it's the like number one grossing movie of all time and was so popular around the world is it is, it is taking, you know, it's an abstract 
art in a way because it yeah it's obviously humanoid characters that are behave like humans but they're not humans they're bigger they're blue they look like cat people right but because of that yeah everybody can kind of see themselves in that and i think the interesting thing too with all the you know with the colonialism um and even just the the nature versus industrialism kind of stuff too is every country kind of has some relationship to that whether they're a country that right. was the colonizer or they're a country that was colonized so even that part of it you know is kind of a universal human story as well so i think by pulling all the reality out of it that's what makes it so just easily digestible by everybody and it and it is like at the basic level it's just like eye candy you're on this other planet and then it's a crazy action movie and it's a love story so people can get into that and then yeah if you keep diving digging deeper then you're like oh wait there is kind of some heavy stuff in here if i want to pay attention yeah so absolutely. i think yeah. you know it's he's he's a smart guy i think if <laughs> you know he's a really yeah. talented artist and he's a smart guy and you know a lot of the things i think that people complain about the movie you know are the reasons it's the biggest movie because it is so simple at a base level and it is a very universal story and yeah like you said the presentation is not any one it's they're not humans right so we can all kind of relate in a way mm -hmm. and kind of map our own experiences onto what they're going through um and and if <laughs> james cameron is a lot of things but he's definitely not subtle uh, yeah. <laughs> he might he, he might be the least subtle filmmaker of all time. So it's like it's purposely in your face with all this this kind of analogy and metaphor with it. But you know, I think it, the the movie this one and the new one come under a little bit of fire for that. But I don't. It's it, it kind of reminds me of like you know Andor, where there's an element of you know woman takes an indigenous child away from his home planet, save him, and there was some critique of that. But that's not what the movie's after. You know, it's it's not really fair to map all of that onto it but i do see the complaints and yeah. i do understand that criticism as well i do think that's kind of what movies are for is to have that kind of debate about yeah. and talk about them um movies aren't always perfectly moral but this one is trying really hard trying really hard to be so well and at the end of the day too it's like the real hero of the movies is nature and it's like there's right. you know and that's i think the fun thing going from the first one to the second one is it's like i mean i guess it happens in both two is like by the end of the movie you're basically cheering for nature to kill everybody in a way yeah, exactly yeah like you're how many get your own species for yeah and and you know and like in the first one when uh the animals you know <laughs> show up it's like yeah the animals are showing up and it's like wait i'm yeah, I'm rooting for the planet to basically wipe me out because I'm a human and I'm kind of bad news. So I want one of those rhino, those like hammerhead rhino things to take me out. That's how I want to go. Yeah. And speaking of James Cameron too, like what do you think makes a James Cameron film such a special event? Like what the avatarness of it aside, what makes a James Cameron film something that like you see day one? I mean, he's a, he's a master of action. So it's, you know, you know there's going to be action. You know it's going to be crazy, but you also know that it's you're going to be able to understand what's going on, and there's going to be a a story within each action scene. It's not just going to be you know action for action's sake. Mm -hmm. um, but also, yeah, he seems to be so good at taking kind of outrageous, over the top stuff and humanizing them enough that like normal people can get into it and like it, which is not easy for people to do because if you look at all of his movies, they're all pretty you know, either crazy sci-fi or over the top action. 
even even Titanic is pretty outrageous, and that's like just a oh, yeah. straight straightforward love story, right? But it's like kind of the most outrageous, straightforward love story you've ever seen. So there's that aspect of it, and there's also just you know if you read anything about Cameron, he's like a crazy perfectionist, and there's mm-hmm. there's something he's like a cool asshole in a way like you know like and even he kind of i think will admit that he's kind of a you know not the nicest person all the time but there's something when you have people who are really talented and they're kind of jerks sometimes that it's a cult of personality yeah but sometimes you get something special because they are a little more demanding than than normal people and and, you know when when that gets on the screen it's like sometimes you can forgive that absolutely yeah and yeah he, he definitely like toes the line of being problematic like he you, you hear a lot about like you know kubrick and stuff like that in the past that were just like crazy abusive on set i don't think i don't have the the firsthand knowledge to know this but cameron just seems like aggressively like you said an aggressive perfectionist but he i feel like he treats people well so it just comes across on screen and people want to work hard for him, even though even though if the hours on set are grueling or, you know, there's 14 hours a day shoots or things like that. He's pushing the medium forward in such a way that I think people are, are, are on board. I just love reading any James Cameron quote about how he gets a movie made or what he wants to do. Like when he wanted to get Titanic made, he was like, now is the time for you to be in love with this. If you say no, you will never see this movie again and I will walk. And he's then, but then Titanic is turned into the one where he's like, I built this studio with Titanic money. He's like, (laughs) his ego is so out of control, but in the best way, either you're behind him or you're not, I guess. Do you have a quick, like off the top of your head, James Cameron top five? I was thinking about that today. It's like, honestly, I think the one I've watched, trying to think the one I've watched the most was probably terminator 2 mm-hmm. but i think aliens terminator 2 avatar surprisingly i over the since avatar has been out i've probably watched avatar more than any other james cameron sure. movie man i don't know they're all good <laughs> I, if anything, I'll, I'll go i'll start at the bottom i've never seen piranha 2 which is unfortunate i probably should try to watch that there's some good stuff uh, in it the abyss i haven't seen in forever it's like impossible to see. You cannot get it on. It's not on Blu-ray. It's not streaming anywhere. You can't even like VOD it. Yeah. So I can use that as an excuse. So when it, whenever yeah. it comes back out, you know, on Blu-ray or something, then it, then it's it's on me to watch uh, The Abyss again. Uh, original <laughs> Terminator is great, but I man, I haven't watched that in a long time. But that movie freaked me out as a kid. It was always on like when we would get free HBO, like for a weekend mm-hmm. or something. I remember having nightmares about that movie, but still like wanting to, you know, watch, I would keep watching it whenever it was on, even though I would... I was terrified of like, what if there was really a Terminator and like trying to figure out how I would get away? If I, if I was in an airplane, would he still be able to find me? For the longest time, I thought that uh, LA was just like that, like dark and <laughs> rainy all the time and just super neo-noirish. But yeah, the first Terminator is nearly perfect in my, in my mind. It might've given you nightmares, but they all came from James Cameron's dreams. Like he has yeah. had dreams. He had dreams yeah. about a met- metallic robot rising from fire. And he's like, oh, ter- it'll be called the Terminator. That's normal. Yeah. I think my I think my top five is T2, Titanic, Aliens, Terminator, and then True Lies. True Lies has not aged well. I'll be the first to say that. It definitely has not aged well at all, but it's it's pretty amazing, nevertheless. So Yeah, oh, that's a good one. They're, that's the thing, they're all good. Yeah, because <laughs> Aliens was I think is still my favorite of all the alien movies. And as I've gotten older, I appreciate the original Alien more for, totally. for what it for what it is. But man, yeah, Aliens is like just nothing but a good time. A banger, for, like front to back, just so good. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in terms of like James Cameron himself, like you said, you put Avatar on your list. I, you know, eventually I think probably Way of Water for me would be above the original Avatar and be my top five because I was just mesmerized, blown away by it. The movie itself, I think in 2022, like we were saying, James Cameron is a more polarizing character than he used to be. Or maybe we're just more aware of it because of the internet. But like people are really, people really hate on him for that ego and are really like rooting against avatar the way of water as a sequel to like stop making money and to you know kind of fall apart and and not reach the goals that they want and it's it's such a bizarre thing because like we were saying like doubt james cameron at your own peril he he's your movie dad everything you like now is because of james cameron and steven spielberg and george lucas like you can't really can't really trash the man that created your basis for everything that's out now i don't know it's just strange what do you think is behind that i don't know people like to complain i think it's the whole yeah. thing like the, you know, people who don't like the first movie and it's like, it's a good movie. It's okay if you don't like it, but yeah. saying it's a bad movie, like, yes, just because something makes a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean it's good. But if you're the biggest movie in the world, it's probably entertaining. Yeah, you're doing something <laughs> right, especially if you have, if you have two of the top 10 highest grossing movies of all time. Yeah. You're probably you're probably pretty good at what you're doing. And like I said, as a as a recovering or a converted like avatar hater, I can kind of put myself in their shoes for a minute but it's like let's let's get over the james cameron slander he's he's here to stay uh and you got about 19 more avatar movies to see yeah and and even with in a way of water like there's no one else really that crazy right now like people are kind of you know making good movies and and maybe pushing the limits of what you can do but like he's on another level of like what anyone else is attempting like it's a three and a half hour long completely animated movie like yeah. of like photo real animated movie like that's in itself just nuts to do let alone it being a you know a sci-fi movie about being friends with whales and and yeah. you know <laughs> killing we got to kill humans because they're ruining nature like you know, yeah they, or g- getting whale brain juice and doing sign language <laughs> with whales like yeah. something I mean, this is kind of getting ahead of ourselves but you know so i Something you and Jason touched on in your episode that I really appreciated was that the, the third act of Way of Water, where things aren't just like CGI and being thrown across the screen and like crazy, you know, planes flying through the air, boats tearing through the ocean. It's things things are hefty and have weight to them, and move and react in ways that only James Cameron can really understand. I believe Jason called out like the reload of the missile. Yeah. And stuff like that, like sticks with you because you're like, Oh, that's how that moves. Very cool. It reminds me of like, um, you know, Blade Runner 2049. I remember so much about that movie, but one thing I really remember is one scene where like a laptop opened in a really specific way. And those are choices that the directors make. It's not just like they, he just happened to make a good action scene. He's in the third act of this movie doing, a 360 degree action scene on water, on land, technically on the boat and in the sky. And it's all legible and coherent and you understand what's happening. It's really, really amazing. And when that third act hits, it's just like, welcome back, James Cameron. Absolutely. So, I mean, speaking of Avatar The Way of Water, let's plug our weird tentacle brain things into Awa and download directly into our brains everything there is to know about Avatar The Way of Water.
Yeah, so released on December 16th, 2022, directed by James Cameron, starring Sam Worthington as Jake Sully, who seemingly like learned how to act between movies in a big way. I thought he was really, really good in this movie, um, whereas I thought he was kind of forgettable in the first one, but maybe he was supposed to be like that to kind of blend in. But I, I really thought he upped his game in this movie. Zoe Saldana as Natiri, really incredible in both films. But did you feel like she was like weirdly kind of sidelined in this movie? Yeah, and, I, and watching it the second time, I was like, I wonder if they're going to do the thing because, I mean, they mapped out what the next, you know, four movies are. If <laughs> yeah. they're going to do almost like um, what they were, you know, planning to do with the with the Star Wars sequel of like maybe the next one's more her movie and this one was more Jake's movie. Because, yeah, it did seem like she had less to do. I guess we'll find out going forward. But I kind of get it because this was like it was a movie about dads. It was a like dad a dad movie. movie. It was a dad movie. So hopefully, yeah, she'll get her chance to have, you know, the mom movie maybe with the next one. That's and that's a lot of a lot of this like the quote unquote sins of this movie can be forgiven by the fact that there's another one coming and already shot. We'll see. And I, th- I don't think people are used to not having that arc spelled out for them. You know, like a lot of the Marvel Marvelization of movies, um, not trying to take random pot shots at the MCU, but they kind of hold your hand and kind of spell out what's happening next. James Cameron's kind of old school like that, where he's like, this is my series. You'll you'll be surprised. You'll see what happens next. So, yeah. And, th- and this was definitely a movie that knows it has a part three, like compared oh, yeah. to the first movie, you know, that's one of the biggest differences I noticed is just how much this one is like, oh, okay, this is kind of open-ended <laughs> and where the first one wraps everything up nicely. After the first one, you're kind of like, I okay, Avatar, that's it. There doesn't need to be another one, but I'm glad there is a second one. So yeah, Sigourney Weaver back as Kiri, who is immaculately conceived by her host body, uh, Grace Augustine, who was also played by Sigourney Weaver in the first movie, you know, biggest movie of all time type stuff. She's in this movie as herself and the animated version of her immaculately conceived daughter, Kiri. James Flatters as Natayam, uh, who is Jake and Terry's oldest son. Britton Dalton as Loak, who is the middle child around, you know, whom most of the movie centers. Trinity Jolie Bliss as Took, who was adorable and really awesome. I love when she's like, I can't believe I got tied up again. It's so, it's yeah. so good. <laughs> and you know, seeing that on Christmas Day in a full theater, a lot of people were laughing. So I was... I was happy to see that the the jokes the jokes worked. Good old James Cameron's dad, dad jokes, yeah. really firing off. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Champion is Miles Spider Corich, who I'm, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about later. Uh, Stephen Lang back as Colonel Miles Corich. He died in the first film, but he's back as what else? A Navi with the memories of Miles Corich yeah. implanted in his head. <laughs> Avatar doesn't want you to forget it's a sci-fi movie. It's yeah. with capital S and F. It's sci-fi. <laughs> I you know it, it really speaks to James Cameron and the way he paces things where the explanation for this is a one minute long video log again, which is very effective. But then Giovanni Ribisi's character from the first movie just comes in and is like, yeah. don't worry about it. Forget about it. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. And it's like, yeah, okay, you're right. You're right. Uh, uh. Yeah, Cliff Curtis is uh, Tonawari, the chief of the Metkayina, who are a Maori-inspired water-based clan. Cliff Curtis himself is of Maori descent, which is great that they had that kind of, you know, representation since so much was borrowed for, yeah. you know, even even the tal- the, uh, the Talcoon with the tattooing and everything like that. Interestingly enough, his wife... In the film, Kate Winslet is not, like we were saying earlier, I don't think James Cameron's really after that aspect. I just think he really likes working with Kate Winslet. You know, she called Ronal, who is his wife in the film, a pivotal character in the ongoing story. So maybe you're right. Maybe we will we will get that mom, that mom movie next. Did you read that? He said that like in four, he wants someone to go to Earth. 
Like he wants one of the the, yeah, not, the no, was, to go to Earth. I don't remember if that was four or five. There, I was laughing so hard reading all those stories like the day before the movie came out, where like they're already pimping four and five, like to try to get people <laughs> pumped up, and it worked because I'm like, okay, I'm ready for them to go to Earth. <laughs> give, me more, give me more. Yeah, I just can't imagine what that would be, but I'm into it. Yeah, Brendan Cowell is Captain Mick Sorsby. He's the head of a private marine hunting vessel on the planet of Pandora. A real asshole, a real jerk. Uh, Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords is Doctor Ian Garvin. Doctor Norma Spellman played by Joel David Moore, Delete Rao as Dr. Max Patel back from the first movie in human form this time, not in avatar form, though I missed their uh, their wacky Navi clothing. And then um, you know, Edie Falco just showing up, drinking the biggest mug of coffee I've ever seen in my life as uh, General Francis Ardmore. Yeah. Just something that came out about her recently where she thought that Avatar already came out and bombed 12 years ago. <laughs> she was yeah. like, I shot it so long ago that I thought it was already out and just didn't do well, which is like iconic Edie Falco behavior. Yeah. Uh, the budget for this movie was $250 million. Right now, after this weekend, the box office is roughly at $900 million globally, which is like insane. A bit of a COVID outbreak in China. And then obviously the giant blizzard and storm that happened here in the U.S. Um, and over most of North America that might hinder that. Obviously, there's more important things than the box office of Avatar, but those things do affect it. 78% critic score and 93% audience score, which I was surprised by. I mean, it is a real crowd pleaser and Rotten Tomatoes is a really flawed metric, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it tells it doesn't tell you necessarily useful information, but it does tell you information and it's at least interesting relative <laughs> to everything else on there. So yeah, it seems like people people are liking it. It's words to say on my podcast, so I put it on here, I guess. <laughs> I think we've kind of gotten into this, but your overall impressions of of the movie itself. Yeah, no, I I I loved it. It was definitely more kind of sprawling and and I felt like almost like I watched a, a season of Avatar the TV show like comparing it to the first movie which is so definitely. you know in and out and and I think you know even though it's two and a half hours it's like it's a tight movie like it it does its thing and and then it's over where this kind of it was a lot to take in and I feel like now that I've seen it twice I have a much better <laughs> feeling of what the movie was like the second time it was like oh i can kind of pay attention now because i'm not just being overwhelmed by by the visuals even though i was still overwhelmed by the visuals um but yeah i mean it's it's what i was hoping it was going to be it's bigger and bolder and crazier and more outrageous than the first one and yeah the when it decides to kind of be you know serious and in, in the family stuff and i think you know being a dad and having kids i was like man it's kind of it's kind of cheating but it's like it, it does you know this the family stuff gets to you more than it really the does first one yeah and even more the second time i think it some of that stuff hit me harder the second time even the first time i think because i could kind of absorb it more because i wasn't just being overwhelmed by seeing it for the first time and you were there with your family, actually, the second yeah, time. You said, yeah, right? so yeah, yeah. That's part of it too. The bots stay together. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I really loved how James Cameron like weaved in like some real world family isms into the movie, like when they're flying to the like the coral reef, and they're like, "Are we there yet?" You know. Yeah. And then he's kind of a tough love, like boomer dad, but it's you know that's kind of a, a weird window into James Cameron's uh, parenting style because yeah. he is this real tough love, like. You've disappointed me. You've let the clan down. But I'm sure some of that comes from the world building of uh, of the Navi themselves, but also that that influence as well. And I really thought that they handled the family aspect so well as well, where there's so many characters to keep track of, but everyone kind of had their role to play. And everyone, um, they, they brought in like sibling rivalry and the jealousy between 
similar aged kids, different kids that are the same age from different families. And the kids, child actors are pretty hit or miss across, across film history. And, you know, I know that they're being represented as like CGI cat people, but all the kids in this movie were crushing it. Even though Sigourney Weaver was one of them as a playing a teenager, like everyone that was, every one of the ch- the children was really working for me. So, yeah, and I was really impressed with Sigourney Weaver too. Like, I mean, I sh- I shouldn't be surprised because you know she's been doing this forever and she's an incredible actor. But like, she was a really convincing like teenage girl. <laughs> she was, yeah, especially with the motion capture stuff where she's doing like you know the the eye rolls and like the like sticking your tongue out and stuff. Yeah. She really. She really embodied a, a teenage character. She really did a great job. The movie itself, I feel like, was just imagination unleashed in a way that I haven't really felt from a movie in years. Um, you know, having, like I said, having skipped the, the original Avatar, I I missed that kind of aspect of like feeling like everything was solid and everything was tangible and you could actually ride it if you wanted to. And you know, we'll get into it more when we um, go through the actual movie movie itself. But the middle. The, the second act, especially in 3D, you said you said you'd only seen it in 2D at this point, but in 3D, the water droplets on everything is so real and smooth, and the way the water flows up on rocks that you really feel like you could reach out and grab and ride wow. these creatures. And uh, I really understood like the Avatar dads. I really, I really got it because I was like, oh man, you can never go to Pandora. That's <laughs> such a crime. You can go to Disney World and ride. Uh, like the Pandora River Falls or whatever, but you can't, you can never actually go there. And, you know, James Cameron's crafted and created this like complete world. It, and it's so crazy just to think about a theater full of people. I hesitate to say like normal people, but like people that aren't like obsessively into like lore and canon of, of series and fantasy, uh, just watching this and like accepting it on screen and just being like, yeah, I like this. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really bonkers. Well, it's really out there. And the thing I was thinking, you know, seeing it the second time was like, this is the ultimate movie for people just riding on stuff. Cause yeah. it's literally like two hours of the movie is just people <laughs> riding on things. It's but great. Yeah. But it's like, I never get tired of it. I hope they ride that thing. And then they do. And you're like, yes, <laughs> wish fulfillment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And like, and like the elder guy even explains like how to ride the thing. He's like, you, you gotta, you've got to hold it just right so you can get back in the water. You're like, oh, okay, now they're gonna ride it again. This is great. Yeah. Then they're gonna ride a whale. Um, that's the lesson of the movie is that everything in Pandora is rideable for for a price. Yeah. The plot of the movie itself, you know, it's been ten years since the Navi defeated the Sky People and stopped their invasion of Pandora. Jake Sully is the chief of his clan. Uh, and has a family with Natiri, including sons Natayam and Loak, his daughter Tuk, adopted daughter Kiri, and a human boy named Spider, who we have to talk about, who <laughs> happens to be the son of Colonel Miles Korich, who was stranded on Pandora because, and I quote, babies can't survive cryosleep, dipshit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is like the <laughs> ultimate James Cameron line that I've ever heard in my yeah. life. One of the best lines in the whole movie. <laughs> totally. I, I will say, that, yeah, the second time through the movie, I was really into Spider. Like I was lukewarm with Spider the first time, but the second time I'm like, okay, I'm really into Spider now. And he's just another layer of just craziness that they put in the movie. Like, because if you could take Spider out and the movie would still work and it would still be insane. But the fact that they threw Spider in is just like that extra James Cameron over the topness. You got to have the weird kid. You got to have the newt of the story where, uh, and it's, if you think about it, it's this, the first time I was like, Oh man, I don't know if I, if I like this at all. Like the, like the white boy dreads and like, he's, he, he really stood out against like the CGI and you're like, why does the human person look bad? <laughs> 
right. with a Navi look real. Yeah. Um, the second time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's it's actually really interesting to think about what could happen with him and being torn between Korich and the Navi that raised him and and kind of being called almost like in a Kylo Ren style way or something to to Korich because he's going to be the villain of of at least three if four is greenlit. He said three and four possibly. So clearly there's something that's going to happen where you know he knows all the ins and outs of the Navi. He knows that he doesn't really truly belong to them and has that seed of doubt planted in his head. And it kind of becomes way more interesting the more you think about him, but he is really jarring when you first when you first yeah. see the movie. And I actually think that the kid that plays him does a really good job. The other thing with Spider, I think that's going to be really interesting going forward too, is if he wasn't in the movie, Korch would just have been the same character from the first movie, just totally. as a Navi. And now yep. bringing the sci-fi up, it's like, okay, we have an avatar that's just memories of a human, but now he's like having feelings for his son who's still human but he's not a human i mean it's almost like playing out the first movie where you have you know a human and a navi falling in love and here you have a human and a navi having falling in love as a his father's son but they're not this you know it's just like it's just making everything just shaking it all up really gumming up the works um yeah because he it, at first uses we'll get to it but like he at first he uses spider to kind of get at Jake, but then the love of the son, or at least the little seedling of love towards Spider is the thing that saves him at the end from Natiri. And it just it becomes really, really complicated. You're right. Since babies can't survive cryosleep, you dipshits, he's stuck on the planet. Uh, the humans return. Uh, humans return and establish a new presence to prepare Pandora for colonization. Uh, long gone are the days of unobtainium. They doesn't matter anymore we are saying among the invaders is colonel miles Korich, reconstituted as a navi with the memories of his with the memories of his old body and a, a platoon of recombinant navi marines that are absolutely wearing uh wraparound sunglasses and looking really really good doing it that was another moment where i was like it's so ridiculous that people are sitting here with straight faces like okay yep got it yeah there's a marine group this guy's got sunglasses on this is great yeah well, and there's the scene with Korch where he has the the navy sized coffee cup, and he's just oh, yeah. drinking like literally a gallon of coffee, like it's nothing. <laughs> I still don't think it was as big as uh, Edie Falco's, but yeah, it was, that's, it was still, I, still I, pretty I'm big. Trying to figure out if they're both if she's using the navy cup or if there's an even bigger one for Korch. <laughs> I want to see them side by side. I need a side by side comparison, and I need uh, a navy sized coffee cup at yeah. the Disney parks to, it, that I can buy. It, it's basically remember when Seven uh, Eleven used to sell those big like thermos gallon yeah. mug cup things, yeah. <laughs> Speedway, Speedway still does, okay, and uh, it's obscene. Um, but yeah, I thought this was a really efficient, really, really great way to catch people up. Or if you've, you know, you could really just plop right into this movie and be like, okay, I get it. Really launches you into what Pandora is all about. It launches you into the conflict, what happened. It really recaps it pretty, pretty deftly. So yeah, Jake and his people are rebelling against the humans, but Korich and his recombinants strike back, recapturing Jake and Natiri's children. They're eventually freed, but you know Spider is taken by Korich, who soon realizes he's his son. He decides to spend time with him in order to draw Spider on his side, and in turn, Spider teaches Korich about Navi culture and language, teaches them to ride banshees for some reason. I'm not sure why he did that. Kind of made everything a lot more difficult for uh, for Jake and crew, but that's okay. You know, Jake and his family realize that now they're threats to everyone in their clan, so they exile themselves due to the danger that Spider poses and retreat to the land of the Metkaina, where they're given shelter uh, the family learns the way of water, and Kiri develops a spiritual bond with the sea and its creatures. Um, almost, uh, you know, she literally becomes like 
later in the movie, like an actual avatar from the other avatar, the last airbender where she's like doing water bending. It's a nice, nice little crossover there. When they first show up in uh, like the realm of the Met Kaina, I was like, we're off and running because this looks so amazing. It's really like one of the most enthralling and, and transportive experiences I've ever had in a movie is seeing the little tide pools and just being in like three foot deep water with them and things like that. Um, I'm really excited for you to see it in 3d. It's going to be, it's just like, so, so good. I'm literally like 12 hours from now. I'll, I'll be watching it. I'm like getting, I'm getting up early to go see it. So that's how excited I am. And, and one of the things too, is like the, the details, like the actual details in the world building of the, like the spongy bridgeways that they have between their huts um, where they live is different because in, you know, in Avatar one, they live kind of in the woods, but also like in the Hallelujah mountains, which are like the floating islands above hand. So it's like the rock and the mountain, but then you move here and it's completely fluid and, and different. And I really hope that this becomes like the, the way that we explore Pandora going forward in the sequels is like, uh, like the lava movie or the desert movie. I think that's just like a really clever way to to show off the planet but also frame um a series so is there a specific biome that you would appreciate seeing in the next one <sighs> yeah it's a I, real I, dorky question i know i know <laughs> I, i've spent way too much time thinking about it yeah i i don't know because it's like yeah lava or you know volcano people or something would be cool otherwise i mean because they've kind of there's not desert maybe uh or you know is there snow on pandora i don't know i mean i guess man anything <laughs> it's all good it's all good Just give me more any, any slash all yeah. yeah i would be i'm gonna be bummed to leave the water honestly i just i just loved every aspect of it so loak gets into a fight with one of the metkayina boys and they persuade him to join him on a fishing trip where he when he goes to apologize uh they leave him stranded where he's pursued by a giant shark-like creature which really upset me <laughs> i i think it's called like thessalophobia or something like that where you have you have a fear of like open water uh it was really preying on that for me because that's like why i don't like the ocean is because i don't know what's under there and it's i don't want to know that there's like a giant sh like shark creature about to get me at any point so <laughs> it was really preying on that especially in the 3d but he's saved by the last at the last moment by Payakan, a whale-like talcoon with whom the metkayina share a deeply empathetic bond again another point where the movie really takes off and become kind of becomes something completely different where it, it introduces this new character design this new creature and at first, you know, you kind of think like, oh, he's just going to have this run in with it and be on his way. It's going to help him and bring him back to safety. But it really becomes the focus of the movie beyond that. What did you think of this whole this whole scene? It was funny because I had seen, I think, a picture of one of the, the Tolkien in a magazine like a couple of months ago. And there was, you know, like a quote from the producer like, hey, the Tolkien are going to be important. Um, and I totally forgot about it until the movie. And then I was like, oh, yeah, there's whales. And then, yeah, then he's like talking to the whale and then we get whale vision, which was something <laughs> that like, you know, I totally forgot about after seeing it the first time and watching it the second time. I was like, oh my God, there's whale vision. I totally forgot. And then, yeah, I mean, the subtitles, when we start getting to hear, <laughs> we get to hear what the whales are seeing and read what they, what it means. I was like, okay, this is, yeah, James Cameron again <laughs> is just pushing it to the next level of just, again, it's sci-fi it's outrageous sci-fi, but for normal people, right? I don't know. <laughs> Again, people people nodding along in agreement to a, a whale subtitle that says it's too painful. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, and wondering, oh, what does the whale mean? Right? Like, yeah. I want to know. <laughs> yeah. And as you think at first, it's just going to be like the, the whale sounds and that they're just trying to understand each other and get to know, getting to know each other. But then when you find out there's, there's like that almost like symbiotic bond between the Metcaina and the Talcoon, and you're like, this is wild stuff, guys. Yeah. This is because that's when you start rooting and it's like, okay, the, the whale is now my favorite character in Avatar. This like the thing that's talking in subtitles that's, uh, missing a flipper and is you know just showed up it's like now i'm just rooting for this thing all of a sudden i was like i think i'm a vegan now i'm not really sure why i think i'm i think i just became a vegan PyCon reveals that he was exiled but won't reveal why at that time because like we said he said it's too painful uh kiri takes a trip to the metcainia's spirit tree underwater and links with it with her weird braid tentacle thing but suffers a violent seizure we're not sure why um Jake calls for help, and in doing so, Korich is able to track them through that that tracking beacon, which is another thing the second time where I was like, oh, okay. Because the first time I was just so blown away by everything going on, I was like, I don't know what's happening. I can't even keep up with what's happening right now. Um, Korich commandeers a whaling vessel, which is hunting tall coons to harvest their whale brain juice that stops humans from aging. Just when you think there's not going to be any more complicated stuff layered on top of this movie, it, it comes into play. And it was really heartbreaking that they take this a serum a little vial of whale juice and i think it's spider who's like you just throw the rest away like it's just you just waste the rest of this thing that you just killed and it really really like brought a lot of things into perspective for me i was like i bet that happens all day every day mass meat farming and things like that it's just you don't really think about that the waste and the 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 amount of life that gets discarded for like an ounce of something from it so um and then it also gets you thinking about like there's some social criticism. There's some social satire there from James Cameron that's saying like, oh yeah, the earth is dying, but people want to live forever for some reason. Um, yeah. He's, I, I think, yeah. I think James Cameron's pretty cynical about, about the human race. I'm yeah. just going to go out, going to go out on a limb and say that Korich begins a br- absolutely brutal assault on all the regional tribes, uh, like flame throwing their towns to get them to reveal Jake's position, but then comes up with a plan instead to hunt the Talcoon to draw him out because once he figures out that they're just killing these creatures haphazardly, that it's going to bring out the moral side of Jake and the clan and flush him out. Yeah. So Loak links with Pyokan and he learns that he was cast out because he went against the pacifistic ways of his species and attacked the whalers who killed his mother. And there's a whole like whale genocide scene, which is horrific and just such a, such a wildly over the top sci-fi moment, but that's also so deeply empathetic. I really, this scene was heartbreaking. I thought, well, and especially because they give you his flashback and like they give you his flashback and you're like, oh, that's brutal. And then right after they do the full on whale scene, to, like before you like even recover from his flashback, you're like, oh, no, the flashback wasn't brutal enough. We're going to go step by step and show how, that how it's actually done. Yeah. yeah. And it really, Which, really makes you start hating humans even more. Yeah. And obviously a real world analog to, to poaching and whale hunting, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, I think James Cameron also really likes the ocean. I'm not sure. Yeah, I've um, heard. I've heard. I've heard a thing or two. <laughs> Have you ever seen the South Park episode with James Cameron? No, I'm not a big South Park guy, but I recommend checking that one out. It's very funny. They have to raise the bar because Honey Boo Boo is dropped the bar so low that it's in the ocean. <laughs> the person guarding the bar is Randy Newman. The person they send to raise it is James Cameron and like a little submarine. And he's got his own little theme song and everything. So okay. that's that sounds like a good one. All right. It's worth watching. Music on. His name is James, James Cameron, the bravest pioneer. No budget too steep, no sea too deep. Who's that? It's him, James Cameron. 
systems are normal. You guys hearing the song okay up there? James Cameron, explorer of the sea. Yes, James, we hear the song. Descending to 1,000 feet. I don't see the bar yet. Looks like it must have sunk pretty low. Yeah, when the Metcaina learn of the Talcoon killings, the children take off to warn Pyakon just as the whalers arrive and are captured by Korich. Jake, Natiri, and the Metcaina set up to confront the humans and rescue their children. Jake surrenders to Korich, but then our hero of the day, Pyokon, attacks, igniting a fight that kills most of the crew and begins to sink the ship, um, where everything be- kind of becomes alien meets Titanic meets Avatar. You really don't get much better for a blockbuster movie than a giant whale throwing itself onto a ship and like having rockets bounce off his head and things like that. It's really, really wild. And this kicks off that scene we were talking about where it's just ships jumping off of, you know, rocks, uh, like 3D arrows coming through uh, the windshields of like these crab mechs that are walking around. Uh, It's just, uh, it's uh, just like an orgy of special effects. It's really, really wild. Yeah, Netayam in the process, the oldest son, Netayam rescues his children, but is killed. They take a minute to mourn his loss and then the anger from the loss of their son uh, sets off the final confrontation with this really amazing like eclipse motif that's been happening throughout the movie and that's another really great thing he does is like shows off the rules of Pandora and how it's not really nighttime it's like eclipse every night is an eclipse I think that's what it was right Uh, yeah because I was the first time watching and I was like okay maybe this was always nighttime but the second time I'm almost feeling like maybe this is a new Pandora thing they're adding that they just aren't taking, you know, not, not worrying about explaining that maybe part of the year is a eclipse time. Cause it, it only lasts as long as the action scene it only lasts a couple hours. So maybe it's a new thing where like part of the year is, a, is the eclipse. And there's like a few hours in the middle of the day when it's dark. Cause I think that's different than night. Cause there was normal night, I think in the first movie, but it's, you know, it doesn't need to explain it. So it didn't explain it. Cause there's enough other right. stuff to worry about, but visually <laughs> exactly. it was just a really cool visual of seeing, yeah, the, the big gas giant planet eclipsing the sun. They don't refer to it as night. They keep saying like, you have to be back before eclipse and like be home before the streetlights come on type of thing. And so it really sets the time and the pacing of the movie as well. But then it becomes like this visual thing that makes you so comfortable watching it at the end so when it, you you see it happening you're like oh man everything's about to go down at night it's going to be an amazing like final set piece scene jake eventually you know they fight on the boat natiri takes spider hostage but because Quaritch has their children hostage it becomes a standoff um and that's where you know Quaritch is like i, I don't care kill him and then he's like at the last minute don't do it because he's he's my son and kind of changes his ways a little bit but his motives are not entirely clear in that moment. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that. I really love Natiri in this moment too. Just like cracking dudes over the head with a bow. Well, and I think what was so cool too, though, is like this end action scene is so good just as an action scene, but it also has so much story mixed in it too. Like we're just talking about with, you know, Quaritch and Spider, but also Natiri gets to the point where she's fighting out of rage, not out of, she kind of takes it too far. And I kind of felt like her breaking her bow was like her realizing that maybe she lost control and like, there's a sure. reason to fight. Absolutely. You know, there's a reason to fight, but you can go too far and it becomes almost like revenge where, which is not maybe not as noble as, you know, fighting to save your, your planet kind of a thing. So I think yeah. it, it was neat kind of getting that little bit of her character where she's almost 
Yeah, it was almost like a you know Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi moment, like you know hammering down on Vader and being like, "I got going too much towards the dark side. I have to I have to stop myself." But then she does take his kid hostage and cuts his chest. So <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't she wasn't she wasn't that uncomfortable with it. But yeah, she hasn't. Uh, yeah, she she didn't uh, learn a lesson yet. Right, exactly. And this is where it gets really amazing too. And this is what I was talking about with it being like so legible because this the ship is spinning and they're climbing up like cafeteria tables as the ship is inverted. He's showing off what he learned from Titanic in this moment, but then there's also like mech suits fighting like aliens. And it's like, so, so cool to see all of this, the, like the camera and greatest hits converging in this like hour long set piece, pretty much. Um, I really couldn't believe how over the top and, but still traceable everything was like, yeah. you knew exactly what was going on. You knew that these, that these whale hunters were going to get it in some way. And you wanted them to, like we were saying, you were rooting for them too. Um, but and ultimately they're, they're pretty much like completely punished by nature. Like you were referencing earlier where <laughs> the, the whale basically uh, free willies over the boat and a, a metal cable cuts off the main poacher's arm and sends him flying. Uh, and it's just like the revenge of the whales, the revenge of the Talcoon. It's so, it's so fun to watch, but then you catch yourself, rooting against humans well and then the whole thing with you know similar to the first movie but more even more so in this one of if starting with the big action and as the action in a way gets more intense it gets smaller and smaller and more personal where it's like absolutely it's the big battle and then it's just the boat and then it's just the family versus courage and then you know at the end it's just sully versus courage underwater and yeah. it's <laughs> like it just keeps getting more you know they're raising the stakes and getting more intense but also getting more personal uh, at the same time. And then I just love the fact too, that it's, uh, you know, the whole movie is about the parents trying to keep their kids safe and save the kids. But the movie ends with the kids saving the parents and, and they Absolutely. save the parents by totally chilling out and calm. It's like, we got to calm down so we can breathe. And it's just yes. like, it's almost like you in the audience where you're like, okay, I need to breathe too. I need to breathe. Yeah. yeah. And like you're saying that, that personal aspect where it goes down to just the, like the one-on-one fighting and then it becomes just, just about family survival at the very last moment where they're all trying to help each other through. Yeah. And like uh, Kiri basically uses like the, the water force to summon sea creatures to help guide the way out. And it's the way of water flows through you. It's here at the beginning, it's here at the end and it's a, a rite of passage for the children themselves. So it's almost like it's a really good movie. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, and even, <laughs> and even spider saves his dad. Like, you yep. know, it's like you're mad. It's like spider. Why are you saving him? But it's like, why are you doing that? But it's yeah. like, this is what, where the movies is right now. The parent, the kids are saving the parents and it's like, kids will save their parents, even if their parents are assholes. And it's kind of like, you know, it's such an interesting dynamic because I thought, you know, I thought he would just, get his consciousness back and like wake up and swim away. But the fact that his son pulls him out and then kind of gives him the business and is like, you, you've lost your way. I'm going back with them. Like you don't deserve to live, but I, I saved you anyways. Like I said, it creates that really, really interesting dynamic going into the third one. So I'm sure they have a plan for that as well. But you, I think that he wants you to hate that spider did that to set up this kind of like heel turn for spider maybe in the third one. So, but yeah, I, I really loved you know, even Jake saying like, I can't do it. I can't make it. There's, we can't, it's over for us. And then you know, his son being the one that pulls him out. Yeah. So everyone's safe. They have a funeral for their fallen son. They say that they're going to leave, but Tonawari from uh, the Metcaina welcomes the Sullies into their clan where they forge a new life at sea. 
Uh, Jake vows to make his last stand against the humans as the credits roll. And the first time I saw it too, and he's like, this is it. This is our final stand. And I was like, what is like, I, I couldn't remember like, Oh, just fighting the humans. Okay. Because it feels, it feels kind of resolved, even though Korich is still uh, on the lamb and it just, it felt so resolved that I was like, Oh yeah, there's still this impending doom of all of humanity coming yeah. to, to Pandora. <laughs> Well, and when this movie ends, as much as this movie feels bigger and more intense, is it actually was less of a like they fought less people than the first yeah, movie, and totally. there's it was literally one whaling boat and some and you know some some navy marines. There's an entire giant human city, you know, on the other side of the planet. So it's like, man, you know, there's yeah, a lot. Is. There's a lot to to still happen in in three and however many more we'll get. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And they're all they're all hopped up on uh, whale brain juice. So who knows what will happen? And that's another interesting part about it, too, because when you think about Korich surviving and he has the memories implanted in him and his body is artificially made, created, there's potential for him, not just you know, whale juice aside, which is something I'm saying seriously, but can't believe I can say seriously about a movie. Whale juice aside, he can live forever based just on redownloading that consciousness back into a new body over and over again. So it's this really interesting thing of like a threat that never dies. That's always going to be persisting yeah. and always coming after Jake and Sully's Jake, Sully's family, wherever, wherever they are. Um, well, he's, he's the Terminator at this point. He's the, yeah. a, a bio, bio Terminator. I was really taken by the movie. I, I like it even more than the first one. I just think it's, such a leap forward and it's obviously such an accomplishment technically i really thought that the family stuff and the emotional stuff that comes along with keeping the family together really just was was powerful especially when they all kind of dogpile on each other at the end it was yeah. like okay i guess i care about jake sully now in the, <laughs> in, in the canon of sci-fi movies i yeah. guess i care about this like meathead guy that i didn't really love that much in the first movie but i'm fully emotionally invested in this in this family now and which is an achievement unto itself what are your final thoughts on avatar the way of water yeah i i think it was great um it's weird it's like i think you know i in uh in our blast points episode i kind of said the same the similar thing of where in a way this kind of reminds me of empire strikes back if you're using a star wars analogy because it's the movie where they knew they were going to take the story farther so it kind sure. of expands and doesn't necessarily it isn't self-contained where you know the original star wars a new hope is like you can just watch it and it's one and done and it's its own thing and the fact that it goes on is 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 great so i still don't know if i had to rank the two because there's something about like you can just put in the first avatar and watch it and mm -hmm. and you know when it's done you can go about your day where this one i'm like well, i need to see three now so yeah, exactly which, yeah you know which is great in its own way but just yeah i mean think visual and emotionally like you said this miles to 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 use a bad pun miles Korch <laughs> beyond the first movie uh as good as the first movie looks yeah this is you know like we were joking the the real life doesn't look as good as the fake <laughs> pandora exactly. life in the movie it's, it's exactly really amazing that uh yeah it's it is like you know you go to the theater and, and this is like why there's movie theaters because it is like it's an experience like you're underwater you're at sea world you know but like good sea yeah. world where they're not abusing the whales like the whole middle act of this movie is basically like a nat geo documentary do you remember in like imax where they used to only use imax screens for like mm -hmm. 
the mysteries of the deep. And it yeah. was like a 45 minute documentary. The whole middle of this film is just that. And it could be that for eight hours and I would be happy, yeah. but there's insane action and compelling storyline. And James Cameron is just a master. It's really hard to spoil this movie because there's not like a Harry Styles reveal at the end of it or like a, you know, it's, it's really a movie that demands you to be in a seat in a theater to watch it because of the visuals. It's not, like we said, it's a pretty run-of-the-mill story, but just the technical aspect of it, you need to see it in the theater for it to make sense. I know a lot of people that were in the same like Disney Plus boat that I was with the first one, where they're like, I don't really get it. Just these dumb cat people running around causing mischief. And it's like, <laughs> you don't really know the full extent of it until you see it on a big screen and hear it with a loud sound and 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 really get wrapped up in it. So we haven't really done this before. I'm a simple man with simple pleasures. I love to rate and list things. I love to compare things and rate them. Um, so this year we're going to start adding in like a rating element to all of the shows that we do for like the, for the different movies that we do uh, and television shows, et cetera, et cetera. So for Avatar The Way of Water, I thought we could rate it from one to 10 pairs of recombinant Navi wraparound sunglasses. Obviously 10 pairs of sunglasses being the best and one pair of sunglasses being the worst. Where do you think this movie rates? It, it's 10 pairs of sunglasses plus a, <laughs> plus a giant coffee cup. I think <laughs> just all crammed inside of it. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think I'm right there with you. It, 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 it really blew me away and uh, it became... One of my favorite movies of the year, if not the past like ten years. I really, I really love this movie. We sounds like we both highly recommend that you go see it in the theater as soon as you can, if you haven't seen it already. Yeah, Gabe, thank you for thank you for being on the show and thank you for taking time out of your your holiday vacation to talk about Avatar with me. <laughs> so I need, I needed to talk about it with somebody. So no, this is great. I yeah, I'm glad to have an opportunity to talk about Avatar in uh, this way. I can not drive my family totally crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it was, a, it was fun to talk about it. And I'm, like I said, I'm going to go see it again tomorrow. So <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I tend to become like the Chris Farley show of when I'm trying to talk to my friends about movies. I'm like, remember when the, when the whale jumped on the boat, that was awesome. And they're like, John, we're trying to work. We're trying to work, but yeah, for sure. Make sure to check out blast points. Obviously anywhere you get podcasts, join the blast points army on Patreon. Uh, speaking of which, we should have a Patreon pretty soon, and as well as merch. 2023 is looking to be our best year yet. Again, Gabe, thank you very much for being here. Thanks to James Cameron for Avatar. So uh, thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.